welcome to Creeps and Crime Storytime. My name is Charlie. My name is Sophie. And we are here today, obviously, with a new episode. I don't know why I we're say here. that every week, because obviously we're here with a new episode, because we're here. Well, and there's a new yeah. episode, so clearly that's what we're doing. <laughs> it's what we're here for. It's why we're here. So our case today, I'm just going to hop right in, by yeah, the way. Yeah, go for I it. I don't have any, I'm just, no, I know I didn't I warn you, but let's no. just... Go. No warning. Let's go. So our case today is another one from the UK. Oh. And this is one of the most famous cases of modern history. Oh, wow. Okay. It's fucking huge. Right. So today we're going to be talking about one of the most prolific serial killers of our time. Mm. Harold Shipman. Oh, him. Yeah. What a piece of work. That's putting it nicely. It is. So, of course, media has to give serial killers fancy nicknames because they get unnecessarily glorified. Ugh, this yes. absolute cretin got called Dr. Death in headlines that's jazzy i'm not okay with that no it's he doesn't deserve that. he doesn't because no. of course shipman was a doctor for basically his whole career mm-hmm. that was interestingly a long career. he's the only english doctor to have been convicted of murdering his patients ever Ooh. the only one wow other doctors have of course been charged Incredible. with crimes such as misconduct assault manslaughter mm. etc and some yeah. have been accused of murder yeah but shipman is so far the only one who has been convicted of murdering his own patients in this country wow so let's get lot started convict, shall we let's get started today we need to turn the pages back to 1946 yeah second so the world second war. world war had recently ended Ah, yeah, the end. So, yeah, it recently ended, and obviously, and there was, like, the fucking depression. Oh, God, yeah. All the aftermath. Yeah, the the aftermath fucked everything and everyone. For a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, for a working-class family like the Shipmans, Mm -hmm. times were tough. Harold Frederick Shipman and his wife Vera lived on a council estate in Nottingham. He grew up quickly. (laughs) No, no, this is his dad. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking dickhead. And for Americans and other international listeners, a council estate is the equivalent of public housing. Oh, It's yes. not fancy. Okay. You get what you're mm-hmm. given and you just sort of get by. Yeah. Harold Sr. was a lorry driver and the couple had three children. The family were practicing Methodists and would go to church every single week. Their faith was a big part of their lives. Okay. The first child was a girl, Pauline, who was born in 1936. Their next child was their first son, who was named Harold, after his father, and he was born in 1946. Their youngest son, Clive, was born in 1950. Mm. Harold was seen as the bright, talented one of the three children, which must suck if you're the (laughs) other two, especially considering how he ended up turning out. Oh, God, yeah. He got most of the attention lavished on him. Even though Pauline was the eldest, it was Harold who was the first-born boy, which was obviously vastly more important. Yeah, always is. Harold did well in school... He was clever and bright. He was also fairly athletic and was skilled playing rugby. We can see in the fa- the in blah, blah, blah. we can see in the familial history of lots of people who go on to commit serial murders that they might have a traumatic home life mm. or be victims of child abuse. This was not the case with Harold. So he yeah. was fairly doted on at home and he wasn't bullied by anyone in his family. What he wasn't picked on in school either, although mm. some people have described him as being a bit of a loner. We sometimes see this behaviour in people with narcissistic tendencies, as people like this tend to believe they're above everyone else, and it's not worth their time to hang around with those they have determined to be beneath them. Yeah, I get that. They require the excessive attention and admiration from others, but don't always want to socialise with them on a personal level. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in England, there's an exam that you take when you finish primary school called the 11 plus, which determines whether you can get into a grammar school or not. I remember that. Shipman took his 11 plus exam in 1957 and he passed and he went on to High Pavement Grammar School in 1957. High Pavement? Yeah. That sounds fun. It's a shit name for a school. Yeah, High it does. Pavement. <laughs> I was being polite. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it's called now. It's just pavement. Just pavement. <laughs> pavement school. There you go. Maybe maybe the grammar school was called High Pavement and just like the, the regular secondary school was just called Pavement. Maybe. Yeah, that was the glow up school. That was the, yeah. Down the road. So he carried on playing rugby in the youth league here and he also took up distance running, which is something that I cannot understand. What made him go into medicine? I'm just confused because he's like little sports guy. Yeah, and he's then he's gonna. Dive into he's the also. Books. I mean, he is quite academic as well in school. It's not like he's yeah. just Mister Sports Guy. Oh, I know. Like but he's he's good at sports and he's smart. He's one of those fucking people that you hate. All wrong people. Yeah, good that's at good at everything. And, shove it. and it's like yeah. fuck you. Yeah, I don't like those people. Um, Stop being good. But also, I just like the thing that really makes me think he's some kind of sociopath is that he took up distance running. Why would you? 
Yeah, why? Why what? would you want to Is go Is that where you running? just literally run miles? Yeah. Like, long distance... Like, I can kind of... I don't understand eh, it from a perspective sure. of wanting to do it, like... But I can see why people want to do, like, sprinting. Because yeah. it's like, look how fast I can go. So you go really hard. Yeah. And like, really fast. Yeah. Just to see how fast you can go. It's like... Yeah. It doesn't appeal to me, but I kind of get yeah. it. It looks But, cool. like, distance running, it's like, that sounds terrible. Like, why make yourself move for Just that Just the long? physical trauma. Like... All the time. You can tell I'm not you got to be consistent athlete, with like, something. When do you get breaks? When do I get to sit? I, no, I couldn't Yeah, do so... Why do you do this? I mean... Why anyone would want to run distances recreationally just isn't something that I can fathom. <laughs> As I'm sure a lot of people can't... I mean, I'm sure a lot of people that do distance running wouldn't be able to fathom why I want to spend my free time looking up information about terrible crimes. And sat down. Not and sat running. down. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not even running. I Yeah, I bet a lot of people don't get why. I just want to sit We're in a dark room ones. and look at autopsy reports. Like, yeah, that girl's got something wrong with her. Yes, we shall lie so, on, Charlie. The thing is, <laughs> so he was so good at sports that in his final year at High Pavement, between 1963 and 1964, he was actually the vice president of the athletics team. <laughs> why is that funny? You're so quick, we're going to make you vice president. <laughs> Super fast. Lucky him. So, the thing is, he did work fairly hard academically as well, and he was able to put his natural cleverness to good use, and he did fairly well in school i I don't care (laughs) you academically excelled though so you're like i didn't excel no you were smart you were smart and mum and dad were like charlie's really smart so can you just be more like her please yeah but then there was genuinely yeah but then the pressure of being the only one in the family to go to university and like oh my god you're gonna actually be someone (laughs) you're gonna get a degree and it was no but like growing up it was that whole like you're gonna make something of yourself and the pressure of that Mm. was fucking it sounded horrible crushing and then yeah. guess what? I never made anything of myself. Uh, and <laughs> here we are! Yay! Hello, everyone. <laughs> anyway, sorry, mom, if you're listening. Um, however, his life changed when he was 17 years old. Is this his the first ship- kill? No. Mm. The Shipman family was also. In case you can't tell, I don't know about my accent or whatever, but I'm saying Shipman, not Shipman. I, oh. Just because I say it quite quickly. Oh, so just for people that yeah. don't know the case, like we know who he is, so we know his name. Mm-hmm. But for people internationally, because like, we do have quite a lot of American listeners. We um, do, yeah. The lovely, lovely people. Lovely fucking people. You're great. I love hearing from you and it's so much fun. Oh. But yeah, Shipman. Um, so, so the family was quite close and young Harold was particularly close to his mother. So mm. he was a bit of a mummy's boy. Uh-oh. However, however... Vera Shipman had been suffering with terminal cancer. Oh no. And suffering she most definitely was. Here we go. This is the trauma. This is it. This is the sliding my my little coins on it. Yep, you're like (laughs) pending. Sliding it into the middle, like I'm gonna increase (laughs) my bet. (laughs) So the cancer spread to her lungs, and the last phases of her life were difficult. We actually we actually have a relative who passed away from lung cancer. And Sophie, you were only two, so I don't expect you remember a great deal about it. Mm But it is a terrible disease. It's fucking horrific. Yeah. Vera was in a great deal of pain and nothing could be done to treat her at this point. Oh. She spent the last few months of her life being injected with morphine wow. and in a rather vacant state, gazing out of the window for long periods of time. Oh. She was treated for the pain at home by the family GP and the morphine did work and take the pain away for her. Harold would often sit with her and watch the powerful drug make the pain subside. That's really sad. It's really sad. When Vera eventually passed away on the 21st of June 1963, there is obviously not a set way that anyone shouldn't shouldn't or should react to mm. death. People process grief differently, and the young Harold literally took off running. So when wow. he found out that she died, he literally ran all just night bolted. in the streets. Wow. He just, yeah. That's a lot of stress coming out. Yeah, that, like, so Harold just didn't know what to do with himself. He didn't know how to process it or deal with it. And he literally just ran for hours. Wow. So knowing the man that he eventually became and the pain mm-hmm. and heartbreak he would inflict on the families fills me with disgust. Mm-hmm. But the image of a 17-year-old boy running away from the grief of losing his mother is incredibly sad. Yeah, that's that's sad. Like, I feel sorry for him at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel so much sadness for what he had to process here 
Definitely. But, like, I despise what he did, obviously. Oh, yeah. But at this point in his life, it's tragic and He's not made any of those adult choices yet. No, he's not done any of that yet. He's just a boy losing his mum. Yeah. So, I read an interview with Australian forensic psychiatrist Dr. Robert Kaplan, who made a really interesting comparison here to Hitler. Stay with me. Yeah, no. Sophie's face was just like, what? (laughs) I'm curious, because I'm like, the war's ended, so. Yeah, yeah, so here we go, listen. Mm. So... In some of his study into Shipman, his life and psychology, he reflects on how his distress in his mother's death was comparable to Hitler's grief at his own mother's passing at a similar stage in life. So Hitler's personal doctor, Dr. Edward Block, has revealed that Hitler's mother also died of cancer when Hitler was 19. Oh, gosh, that is similar. So there is some comparison here. And in all of Block's years of taking care of patients and working closely to grieving families, he had never seen anyone as distraught at a funeral as Hitler was at his mother's. Was he running? I don't think so. (laughs) But he was just, like, more distressed than anyone else that this doctor had ever seen. Like, the the way that he was processing the grief, it was hard. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, both of these men then went on to commit terrible crimes. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Shaking Kaplan says, quote, It seems to be that the experience of death at a vulnerable age must have played some part in his subsequent murderous career, although of course it's difficult to speculate any further than that, end quote. Very true. Yeah. Yeah, and I just, when I was reading into it, I just thought that comparison was really interesting because it was the same disease that killed these women when their sons were the same age and then both of the men went on to just do awful things. Obviously, the scale of Hitler's was much bigger. Mm, But as we'll find out, like we said in the intro, like Harold Shipman is one of the most prolific serial killers in modern history. He's killed so many fucking people. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was really interesting. That is interesting. I like that. A rather fascinating observation to make here that has been noted by many people who have looked into Howard Shipman's life was the usage by their family doctor of morphine as a pain relief for Vera. Yeah, that was a bit... It seemed a... a, Like a... uh... Sophie's just, like, like moving her hand around. Like, I'm supposed to know what you're fucking thinking. Uh, She's just making, like, scooping motions with uh, her hand. You're not helping. Like a... Not a... How many words? Is it a book or a film? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So, like a... A blanket solution. (laughs) For anything, just morphine... Administer the morphine. I was. I do want to say blanket statement because it's not a statement he's making. He's. So doing. are you saying that? So let me try and just <laughs> puzzle this together. Like, okay. so are you basically saying that people in those days just use morphine to treat lots of things? No, I mean this doctor in particular. He seemed like anything he saw with Vera, he just gave him morphine. The GP, the family GP. Yeah. What makes you say that? Well, you said before with the to treat the cancer pain. Yeah, he gave her morphine. Yeah, but how is that all she had? There wasn't anything else they could do. It was untreatable. It was terminal at this point. I know, but no other medicine for anything. It was terminal. She was dying at that at that at that stage in the cancer. All they could do was make her as comfortable as possible because Ah, she was dying. Like, she was right at the end. There was no treatment. There was no cure. There was nothing. The only thing that they could do was to try and ease the pain so she could pass gently. That's what was happening. And that's what he watched. So treat headaches and stuff? What? No. (laughs) Maybe not. Have you listened to anything I've just said? (laughs) Oh my god. It's been a while. Headaches, mate. She had fucking terminal lung cancer. She didn't have headaches. <laughs> she might. Oh I say god. that with respect. Yeah. Oh my god! Should we just cut that out? Or you... No, I'm not cutting that out. I want all okay. of our listeners to hear how dumb you are. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Do I need to reread everything I've just read no. to you? No. No. But is this Doctor Fishy? Not that's no. not his name. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, oh my god. No, so this this family GP mm-hmm. seems to be just a random doctor that was doing normal things. Oh my god, he is he actually not... Harold Shipman's real dad? What? <laughs> no. He seems to be in my mind's like making leaps, clearly. But this I is... just don't wait, know in what wait, direction. Stop. This is like trying to record with mum. No, it's not. Fuck it off. fucking is. This is Go what you're doing to me right now. 
Yeah, I'm pulling you like. Okay, right. Just no, you're not. Just stop leaping to conclusions for five minutes and just listen to me. So this doctor, the family GP, was on the straight and narrow. Nothing was up with that. Oh, okay. So he's good. He's good. Right. It's it's the young Mister Shipman that we are concerned with. He is not good. Okay, he's not good. He's fucked. The family doctor oh. is fine, as yeah. far as we know. There's never been anything come out to suggest that he was not fine. Okay. Okay, so, where the fuck was I? Right. So, do you... Right. So, for those that are familiar with Harold's crimes, hearing that um, Harold watched his mother have the morphine pain relief while she was dying... Hearing that, if you're if if you are familiar with what he did later, hearing that might be one of those penny drop moments. Mm. But if not, I will brief, briefly summarize. So, do you know what Harold Shipman did? Do you mean the specifics? What do you know about him? I'm pretty sure he injected his patients with some kind of poison or something, or something injected that killed them. But they were usually old people. Um, he may have been the same guy that put drills in people's teeth. No, not that guy. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Oops. No, that's, that's definitely time. something else. That's another episode. I get my crimes mixed up. You <laughs> definitely have got your crimes mixed up there. But, like, the injecting yeah. with lethal amounts of substances yeah. to kill them, and they were old. Yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. the guy. That's so, yeah. Harold Shipman, over the course of his career, killed many elderly women, specifically women, oh, okay. through overdosing them with morphine. What the fuck? So he's just replicating his mother's death. Basically, yeah. So it seems like it's too close in in comparison to be a coincidence. Definitely. So his life should be forever affected by the traumatic death of his mother for him to then to go on to take the lives of women in a very similar fashion to how his mother passed away. There is absolutely no evidence whatsoever, like what we were saying earlier, that Vera Shipman was killed by one of the injections of morphine. That's Mm. not something that's up for debate. It was the cancer that killed her, for sure. But the parallels are too significant to simply ignore, and it definitely seems as though the trauma that his mother suffered at the end of her life later shaped into his MO. Mm, Definitely. That's... Some interesting stuff right there in terms of behaviour. That is really, really interesting. So, despite his mother's tragic passing while he was studying, he passed his A-levels and got a scholarship into Leeds University in 1965. Good for him. So, I said earlier that Shipman was a bit of a loner when he was in school, and Mm -hmm. this is something that he carried through into university as well. Yeah. Once again... This is something that I would like to point out is similar to those who exhibit narcissistic tendencies. A shipman's habit for spending time by himself wasn't a result of bullying or others being unpleasant to him. It was very much the other way around. Mm. So he was quiet and intelligent. He also thought that he was always the smartest person in the room. That's that's not a good sign. It's not a good trait to have. And when he was at university working on his medical degree, he didn't really make any friends. Nobody could stick him. He had to be in control of everything he worked on, and he was incredibly full of himself. He sounds really annoying. He sounds like a pain in the ass. His arrogance made him difficult to tolerate, and it was a challenge for people to enjoy his company. Mm. So... You can kind of imagine in his family, he might have been the smartest person in the room, or so he thought. Yeah. When he was in college, it's like, okay, maybe, like, he would have been in the upper percentage of, like, students in his class. But if you're in medical school, everyone there is smart. Yeah. Everyone. That is the top percentage You're constantly in competition. So if he is around those people, he's suddenly not the smartest person in the room anymore. But it wasn't something that he could accept. No. And he just kept telling himself that he was better than everyone else. Really so sad. apparently working on group projects with him was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> because imagine. he just wanted to be in control of everything. Like everything mm. that was part of the project, he had to approve everything. He had to make the decisions. Yeah. And everyone fucking hated him. And other people in those classes are not going to have the the personality types where they just, you know, sit quiet and just be okay with that. Yeah, not they... necessarily. There's going to be lots of different kinds yeah. of people there. Mm-hmm. So some people, nope. When he was in his first year at university, yeah. he met the young woman who would go on to become his wife. Ooh. And many people who have looked at this case find Primrose Ox to be a bizarre choice for someone who wants the world to think that he's the smartest, most is wonderful that, person. Is that her name? Yes. That's really pretty. It's it's a gorgeous name. What happened to names? So, <laughs> Mother were like Sand and Davis. Sand and Davis? <laughs> What are you talking about? Who do you know who's called Sand? Well. (laughs) You 
I may have just exaggerated. <laughs> no, I mean, like, lots of people... I do think that names suck these days. Everyone wants, like, like a like a Hunter or a Tyler or oh, a... Ashley. Yeah, but, like, they've all There's got to no be spelled funny. Oh, God, yeah. Like that fairy kid from Mosque. What? You knew that no one could pronounce her name. Do you mean Elon Musk's kid? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's I know. Like isn't it just symbols and shit? Like, yeah. I don't. It's just algebra. I don't. The poor child. I don't care enough to uh, actually look into how you say it. Oh. Same. But anyway, so yeah, Primrose Ox to be, is a very nice name. Really it's a very nice. like quaint name. Yeah. Anyway, Primrose was not highly educated. In fact, after she failed her own eleven plus exam, it said that she could barely Aww. read and write. She was from fairly modest backgrounds as well. So Primrose was the daughter of a local farm worker. And she actually met Harold Shipman when they were on a bus, when he was going back to a student housing from the medical school. So some people might think that she would be an unusual choice of partner, because someone so arrogant might only want the best, most intelligent, beautiful, socially elite wife they can get their hands on. To sort of stabilise their own opinions of their own social position. Mm. They'd want, like, if somebody thinks that they are the best person yeah. in the room, they might also want the best wife. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I so get that. So some people have, like, looked at him marrying Primrose and thought, that's kind of weird. It goes against what we know about his personality. Yeah. Well, no, the way I see it is that he's got someone that is going to always be superior to. This is where that's, I was fucking going. It's just okay, common so sense. this is I'm literally sorry. right. Yeah. So, as someone who, like, I've. Uh, I've met people with narcissistic tendencies and I've known someone mm-hmm. as well who always wants to think that they know better than everyone else. Yeah, gotcha. And Absolutely. When I was reading this, my first thoughts... And I actually wrote this down, and it's amazing that you said the same thing. So I said, however, if Shipman is a massive control freak, and he always wants to be the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm. it might be an advantage for him, for, and it might be an advantage to his ego to partner with someone who might not be very well educated, who will always be impressed by him, mm-hmm. and who can easily be controlled. Yeah. So it's amazing that you said the same fucking thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I've not been able to find any evidence that Harold was physically abusive to Primrose. I've not been able to find anything that says that. However, there are some telltale signs from later in the relationship that he was most certainly emotionally and mentally abusive to his wife and later Mm. also their children. This does not come as a surprise to me whatsoever. Nope. um, At this stage in my research and will probably make even more sense later on. Okay. So he and Primrose got pregnant very quickly. Obviously, with both Harold and Primrose coming from Methodist families in this era, this was not a welcome surprise. Oh shit, of course, Methodists. Yeah, so this wasn't a kind of happy surprise where he'd be like, oh my god, yay! They were like, oh shit. They were like, oh my god. So the two got married very quickly. And Mm. it was a full-on, we need to get married because you're pregnant kind of wedding. (laughs) It was that kind of wedding. Oh, no. So the only two people in attendance were each of their fathers as witnesses for the paperwork. Oh, wow. That was it. That's that's a speedy wedding. Yeah, this was in 1966, so only a few months after they'd even met. Wow. And it created such a huge hole in Primrose's relationship with her parents that it never recovered. She actually fell out with her whole family after this, and she would never again have a good relationship with her parents. I bet you love that. It's more attention for him. Exactly. So it's sad, (laughs) but it's not something uncommon when it comes to coercive control. Mm -hmm. Controlling and manipulative partners seek to estrange their partner from their family, and this is exactly what happened here. Mm -hmm. Primrose was separated from her parents by marriage and tied to her husband forever through the children she would bear him. Harold Shipman became her entire family. Yeah. In later years, the media would question what Primrose knew and how much she might have been aware of in oh, her husband's on. crimes. But, but it's you've got to ask these questions. Oh, yeah, You've got to ask. But... but we can see early on that he likes her lack of education and her willingness to go along with everything he said. Yeah. He liked to have her wrapped around his finger, and it isn't hard to imagine that he spent their entire relationship making her feel as though he was so much smarter than her. Definitely. What could Primrose possibly understand that her husband couldn't? Yeah. We will come back to this later, but for now, I think Primrose was another of his victims, but just in a different way. Mm, very different. Yeah. So, absolutely. 
Howard Shipman graduated with a degree from Leeds School of Medicine at the University of Leeds in 1970. Okay. He quickly got a job working at the Pontefract General Infirmary in Yorkshire. Ooh, and in fun. 1974, he took his first position as a GP in Todmorden. So for our American listeners, GP stands for general practitioner. The most similar things that you have are PCP, which stands for primary care physician, um, or also are referred to as family doctors. Oh, okay. So that's like the American equivalent. Mm -hmm. So this is where Harold Shipman first starts to go off the rails a bit. This is interesting. So remember (laughs) how we said earlier that Shipman had a bit of a control problem? Yeah. So this is where it gets kind of juicy. So Did he run too far? No. (laughs) So he didn't seem to do a lot of distance running here. It was more like other shit. Oh, great. So... He wasn't in full control of his job as a GP in the sense that he was a partner at the surgery where oh, he practiced. Of course he had so a in university, he was surrounded by the top percentage of people in medical school, mm. like, you know, the smartest people academically. Yeah. And once he'd graduated, he still wasn't the smartest person in the room because he was surrounded by other doctors who had also graduated. Yeah. And so these are like <laughs> the best of the best in terms yeah. of intelligence, in terms of their me- like medicinal knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, these are. This is what he'd been working for his whole life, but so had all of these people. If something was run in a way that he didn't like, he couldn't just demand it be changed. No. He had to discuss matters, and his colleagues had to agree with him. Yeah. And his fellow doctors didn't always see eye to eye with him. Mm-hmm. Because Shipman couldn't dictate the way things were run at the practice, he began to get depressed. Oh, no. Oh, he got sad. <laughs> so two years after he started working as a GP, in 1976... He found himself sitting in a magistrate's court, and he was in deep shit. Ooh. But how did he get there? Was he a bad employer? We'll find out. <laughs> so, while his depression and stress and not being allowed to have his own way all the time, and in brackets mm. here I put boohoo, <laughs> led him to turn to drugs to help cheer him up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, I didn't know about what this. What kind of drugs, though? We'll, we'll get there. So, <laughs> I didn't know about this when I started researching yeah, it. Yeah, I, I knew. Know. I knew about his later crimes, like the serial killing, what he's famous, quote, famous for. Yeah. But this stuff, I didn't know about. Mm. And when I was researching, I was like, oh shit, this is like, this is real fucking bad. <laughs> he was because this is, this is years before mm-hmm. he got discovered like and decades. found out. This is yeah. years before he started, like, being in the news for like, oh, you kill people. Yeah. You're this is like, when he was, he, he just graduated. He He's was a baby fresh. doctor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, specifically... Mm. The drug he turned to was pethidine, which is an opioid, which in addition to being used by Mm. narcissists to feel better about themselves, is more commonly used for taking the edge off pain for women in labour. Oh. So it's like that kind of powerful. Like if it can if it can help you forget that you're currently having a baby. Like if it's that powerful that it can stop you from feeling that there is a human being coming out of your vagina, that's (laughs) how powerful. Because all that pushing, you forget. But jeez, that's a strong drink, gimme. No. (laughs) So Shipman would write out prescriptions for his patients for large amounts of the drug, and then when he collected the prescriptions on their behalf because he was nice like that, he would give them only what they required and keep the rest for himself. Oh my god, what a dick! He would also no. write prescriptions for patients who didn't need it at all no. and just collect it and keep the whole lot. What a piece of shit. So his no. colleagues began He's to a notice that a lot of pethidine was being prescribed <laughs> and it was all from Shipman. <laughs> oh, wow. They had a peek into what kinds of medicines he was prescribing and got a feeling that something was off. Captain so they really. called the police to have a look at the situation. Ooh. Hopefully it was all a big misunderstanding. The police yeah. would be able to sort it out and it would all be explained and everything would be fine. Because mm. I think I'm sure they were hoping... Yeah. That everything's fine. They're just reading something wrong. Exactly. It was not a big misunderstanding. Nope. The police went to visit Shipman and found that he was super addicted to pethidine. Oh, wow. Like, he was super addicted to pethidine. on it. So, retired detective George (laughs) McKeating told the BBC years later that he went to visit Shipman. Yeah. And that he was literally no different from other drug addicts he'd encountered in his job. Wow. Okay. So, he had track marks up and down his arms. Ooh. He was, like, fully... He was a (laughs) full-on addict. And McKeating said that the veins in his arms and legs had begun to collapse from the injections. Oh, my God. And he'd resorted to injecting the drug into his penis. What? No. Nothing injected in the... No. No. Okay, that's funny. (laughs) I don't even have one, but, like, you don't put needles in there. (laughs) Don't do that. No, that's when you know things are bad. If you take drugs for fine, but if you find yourself feeling it necessary to inject it there... That's when you've gone too far. That's the that's, yeah, just... that's the signal that <laughs> yeah. get some help. That's not okay. That's ugh. 
He kind of reminds me of Albert Fish a bit. In what I don't way? know. I'm not sure. I think it's the age. Just because he's an old guy who kills people. No, I, I don't know. Maybe as we go along, if you feel it more, you can explain it. Mm, like, if yeah. there's other things that kind of... It's like a, not a weird gut feeling, but kind of just like a... It's reminiscent of him. I personally and think it's just completely because he's old and he kills people. I think it's the oldness. I just think it's the oldness. I think, <laughs> I think it's that. He had been injecting between 600 and 700 milligrams of pethidine per day. And as he was getting more miserable, he was taking more of the drug. Mm. He was also beginning to suffer from blackouts and seizures, which were not caused by an illness, rather that he was just taking so much fucking pethidine that it was making him fairly ill. Wow. Why didn't it kill him? I wish it fucking did. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel I like everything would have been fine. Yeah. So he was arrested in 1975 on forgery charges for the dodgy prescriptions. And mm. to nobody's surprise, he was fired from his job as a GP at Todd Modern Practice. He was admitted into hospital and put on a rehabilitation program at a fancy private facility in York, which he happily participated in. Shipman realised that if he acted like the ashamed and struggling doctor who just needed help, he was far more likely to get sympathy and avoid jail time. Of course. And this is exactly what he managed to do. Mm -hmm. The judge saw that he'd been going to rehab and felt sorry for him being lured by drugs so early in his career. He was discharged from rehab in December 1975, and in February of 1976, he stood before the magistrate's court in Halifax and admitted eight charges of obtaining drugs by deception, seven charges of forgery for the prescriptions, and he was fined a whopping £600. That's it. And that's it. What the fuck? No jail time. He just went to a rehab facility for a bit and was charged a few hundred quid. The judge said, quote, It is indeed a very sad case that almost at the beginning of your career you should find yourself in this position, end quote. If you're finding yourself in that position that early on in your career, that career is not for you. I mean, yeah. You can't handle it, fuck off. You clearly can't handle it. (laughs) Go be some kind of other not a doctor. So I can see the thing is, right. No. I try no, this is where we differ. I try and always look at things from both sides. Mm. So I don't mean both sides as in from Harris Shipman's side, because he can go fuck himself. But I can see why it would be hard for a magistrate judge to punish someone who seems like they have a promising career ahead of them and then throw it all away. Oh yeah, I know. Because from their perspective, it's disappointing that someone with so much potential would let things get away from them like that. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a doctor. The whole point is that you're supposed to be about helping people and saving people and treating people. Yeah. So if he genuinely put on a really good show about wanting to do all these things, mm-hmm. you could kind of see how the magistrate judge would be like, I'm going to give you a chance. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. I get that. So the thing is, however, a doctor is someone in a position of authority and power who's trusted automatically by people in vulnerable positions. Mm-hmm. It is not safe for a community for a doctor to continue to practice when they have a history of being under the influence of drugs so frequently that their veins collapse and they file over 70 fraudulent prescriptions to feed their habit. In hindsight, many people have seen that Shipman should really have been struck off the medical register at this point. I'm surprised he wasn't. This should have been where his story ended. Mm-hmm. It didn't. In reality, it was only just beginning. He was relocated to Durham, and as he was now successfully weaned off the drugs, he had stopped having blackouts and seizures. What a fucking shock. He was employed as a medical officer. His employers knew his recent history with pethidine addiction and forgery, and just to make sure that he was in a position where he wasn't to have access to the drugs, they gave him this job, because it was like, okay, no drugs for you, Mm -hmm. do this instead. Yeah, He was still seeing psychiatrist Dr. Milne as ordered by the court, but Milne's records haven't lasted beyond spring of 1976. It's thought that he didn't see Dr. Milne's for much longer after he started at Durham. Oh. I think it's quite clear that he needed psychiatric help, although Mm. with someone who has as many narcissistic tendencies as Harold Shipman, I'm not sure how much therapy would have actually helped him, because he didn't believe that there was anything wrong with him. He thought that he just thought that he was better than everyone else. He thought no one could understand him because... Yeah. They're not smart enough to understand him. And it's if too you, severe to have anything wrong with This is what anyway. I mean. And if you're that closed off, how much can therapy help you? Because mm-hmm. therapy works to be open to if you let it work. Yeah. This guy was never going to let it work. No. No. He... I bet, you know, he also thought that he was more knowledgeable than Dr. Milne. So he was oh, definitely sure. seeing him just to tick some boxes. Yeah. So while he was at Durham, his criminal case appeared before the GMC, which stands for General Medical Council. 
The GMC is the body that ensures that doctors have the correct training and qualifications, and basically that everything is running smoothly and above board. So it's a really important establishment. It's very yeah. important that we have this. On the 28th of April 1976, the Penal Cases Committee within the GMC determined that based on the evidence they had received, Shipman's behaviour in rehab and the letters of support he'd received from his new employees in Durham, no further action should be taken and the case should be concluded. Mm, I mean, that's fair from their side, given that that's, that's all they've seen so yeah, far. Yeah, if all the evidence they've got for, like from the psychiatrist who's seeing him and his new employees are like, yeah, he's great, then fine. But I just yeah. feel like if you're injecting 700 milligrams of pethidine into your dick, then you kind of yeah. probably shouldn't be a doctor anymore. No, definitely not. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. As someone with no qualifications whatsoever, that's my opinion. Yeah. So, in the Shipman report that was published in 2002, so much later on, mm. it's revealed that at this stage, the Home Secretary actually had the power under the Misuse of Drugs Act 1971. The authority was there for them to prevent Harold Shipman from having any involvement in his career with controlled drugs of any kind ever. They had the authority to stop him from having anything to do with controlled drugs. And they did. The legislation was there. They uh-huh. could have done it. Yeah. And it was it would if they had chosen to do that with the evidence they had, it would have been completely justified. Yeah, definitely. In his current role as a medical officer, he had no access to controlled drugs, and the Home Office could at this point have ensured that this restriction would continue for the rest of his career. Wow. However, that was not the case. It was decided that no such action should be taken, and he was now able to resume his career in medicine however and wherever he wanted to. That's very old. Yeah, and it was a fucking huge mistake. It was a huge mistake. Um, So, the thing is, this is exactly what he did. So, he started working as a GP in Donnybrook practice in Hyde, Manchester, in October 1977. This would end up being a big part of his career, and he would stay here for 14 years, leaving in 1991. I didn't realise he was in Manchester that long. Oh, everything he did was in Manchester. He fucked up, like, our community. Did he not travel? No. I don't know why so I thought he traveled places. No, 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 no. So he's, he stayed in Donnybrook in Hyde for yeah. 14 years, and he left the practice in 1991, but he stayed in Hyde, even though he wasn't in that oh, practice, yeah. until he was eventually caught in 1998. Oh, so the jailed. whole time he was hiding. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> Oh, the face that accompanied that joke was painful. <laughs> Thanks. My face is painful. <laughs> Only to look at. Yeah. <laughs> Not to but have. But seriously, like, he killed Mancunians. Like, Let's that's crush what him he did. with a steamroller. Let's go. It's a bit late for that. I don't care. Anyway. <laughs> so if you can't tell from our accents, a lot of people can't tell, but no, we are actually from not. Manchester. We are, yeah. And we live here now. We are here now. Um, yeah, so it's... When I was looking up all this stuff, like, I know... Like, I knew the places mm. and stuff, and I was like, oh, that's fucking weird. I've been there. Because it's literally, like, like where he was practicing and where he was killing out of. It's like a, what, 20, 25-minute drive from where we are right yeah, now? Yeah, it's not that far. It's very close, and it's very weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, he was loved by the community. This is the thing. Aren't they all? So, yeah. So, oh, we all love Like, him. lots of serial killers, he was very good at changing his perception to different people. Mm-hmm. So in front of his wife, he was very authoritarian. Authoritarian? Authoritarian, yeah. Yeah, I I tripped over that for some reason. He was very controlling. He was very superior. To his colleagues, he was an insufferable pain in the arse. To the the general public, he was beloved. Yeah, he could do no He was respected, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he had these different faces that he would put on to different people, depending on the situation. Just like when he was in front of the judge, he was very remorseful and sorry and repentant whereas really he was none of those things no um yeah he was very good at switching his personas just like a sociopath Mm, as they do so the people of Hyde thought that he was an excellent doctor and he gave all the outward signs of caring about the patients on his list he always went out of his way to care for those who needed it Mm -hmm. and he sort of got famous in the community for going out of his way for people so he would go above and beyond to make sure people were comfortable and safe and happy that's a a good thing to do yeah as a doctor there was someone who was (laughs) if he was genuinely doing these things for the benefit of other people then that would make him a fucking cracking doctor yeah that would be great however but it's definitely not there's always a however 
He began to get very active in the community of Hyde as well, which is a small community. So Hyde mm-hmm. is a rather small town in Greater Manchester, which was originally built around the milling industry. And it still sort of has that small town feel where everyone knows everyone and people trust each other. Yeah. So for Shipman to like infiltrate this little community is pretty terrifying and he at this point had now grown his family with primrose so they have four children wow and he would do extra work and training as an area surgeon for the local division of st john's ambulance Mm. he was a member of the family practitioners committee and he would also (laughs) become secretary of the tameside local medical committee (coughs) so they're now really dependent on him yeah, so that depended on him for these things, but as well, he mm. is doing this stuff not to help the community, but then to change how people see him. Exactly. So if people see him in this amazing way, it's just better for him. Yeah, they're just going to feed his ego more. Exactly, So because his ego is the most important thing to him. So all the outward signs was that he was a caring small-town doctor. In later years, people local to the area would have all kinds of stories about how he was always there for them, about how dedicated he was to the people in their tight-knit local community. And we will discuss some of these stories later on. I'll come oh, yeah. back to this. Okay. okay. But dis- but things inside the Donnybrook practice weren't going so well. Mm. So remember when Shipman got... Like, remember why he got depressed and addicted to pethidine in the first place? Because he couldn't be the king of the medical practice. No. He didn't like not being in charge, and he didn't like other people's ideas being discussed alongside his own. Outwardly, Shipman told colleagues and interested local parties that he was leaving because he didn't like the new computer system used to record patient details. Oh. Yeah, he actually said that. (laughs) Yeah, he was like, yeah, I'm leaving because I don't like the new computers. That's really... Sorry, that's really feeble. Exactly. So, like I said, we know better than that. Shipman loved being the biggest, smartest, most talented person in the room and being surrounded at work by other capable doctors who were just as intelligent and dedicated probably drove him around the fucking bend. So some members of the practice did disagree with him on occasion, which led to the relationships becoming fractured. Mm. It is in the Shipman Report of 2002, which is a great document that I got a lot of information from, which led to relationships becoming... Nope, I read that already. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that by the time he left, at least one of his relationships with a colleague had deteriorated badly. According to others who worked at the Donnybrook practice, he could be, quote, individualistic, end quote, and, quote, could become irritated if confronted by any of the other doctors and other staff members, end quote. Yeah, I bet he couldn't handle confrontation. I bet it was a fucking nightmare. Yeah. So based on previous things we've heard from his time at school and university and his previous job in Targwoodham, none of this fucking surprises me at all. No, no, we shouldn't be surprised. So when Harold Shipman left, he did so with the idea of setting up his own practice. This way, he wouldn't have to deal with inconveniences like other people's ideas, and he could run the whole thing exactly how he wanted. He'd settled on a premises in Hyde on a different street, so still still staying there. Yeah. Um, Surgery on Market Street. It would be ready for him to move into... Market Street. Not the same Market Street. It's in Hyde. It's a different one. (laughs) So it would be ready for him to move into in August of 1992. But by the time his leaving Donnybrook got finalised in January 1992, he wasn't quite ready yet. Oh, no. So this meant that he had to stay at Donnybrook, running his single practice out of his office for the eight months until his own practice was ready. That must have been really awkward. I was going to say that feels awkward. That would have been really awkward. What was more awkward was that he actually took some staff members with him. So, Sister Gillian Morgan, a nurse, Mm. Alison Massey, a receptionist, and Judith Cocker, another receptionist, all left their jobs at Donnybrook to work in his new practice for him. He clearly didn't rub everyone the wrong way, as he was very liked in the community, and I assume the staff members who went with him were those who didn't ever have a need to disagree with him. Yeah, he just put on the charm for them, probably. Exactly. So this is purely speculation on my part, mm. but I can see him going to great lengths to impress upon the members of the team he deemed to be of lower intelligence than himself, in the same way that he charmed his wife, Primrose, yes. who he thought to be uneducated in comparison with himself. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence that these were all women. He definitely believed that he knew more than women did by his treatment of Primrose, which, again, we'll get into properly a bit later on. I definitely second this. He also took with him his rather extensive patient list, which the other doctors were pissed about. I was going to say, you're allowed to do that. Just well, he did. Patients. This was going to make things more financially difficult for them, and they were already arguing about money with him leaving. Oh, no. The arguments got so bad that they had to be settled by solicitors who were involved in the splitting of the practice in 1992. Wow. 
So once Shipman moved into the Market Street practice of August 1992, his reputation as the kind-hearted, thoughtful family doctor did not falter at all. Well, if anything, having his own space to run as he pleased meant that he was more content as he didn't have to listen to anyone else's opinions. He was king of the Market Street practice, and that was exactly how he liked it. Mm, he's got no one to answer to. Exactly, not a single person. He could do anything how he wants to. Anytime. Anytime, no questions asked. So on the opening day of the practice, there was a big show in the town to celebrate. Yay! The whole of Hayes turned out to celebrate with Shipman. And the, um, Hayes, Hyde, oh, <laughs> fucking hell. The whole of Hyde turned out to celebrate with Shipman and That's there to cool. cut the ribbon with the oldest and youngest of his patients. Oh, wow. Minnie Ward, who was 101, was hey, there. Hey, you! And Emma Milliot, Millet? who was three weeks old. Oh, I'm not exactly sure how much of the ribbon cutting either of those two actually did, but that's uh, what was reported on at the time. And it's actually a really cute picture of, like, like them together. Oh, like that's a really, so really cute. old lady. It's a century old lady. baby, and oh, it's really cute. Oh, that's cute. I like so that. most of the patients on Shipman's list were elderly. Obviously, mm. elderly people need to visit the doctor more often than young people on the whole. Fair enough. So this is not surprising. <laughs> we'll this let is that fine. <laughs> However, mm. Shipman's positive reputation for always being there for his patients was in part due to the fact that he'd always been willing to visit his patients at home. It's a big Vulnerable people, particularly the elderly, felt safe with Shipman. Yeah. He cared, and he always went the extra mile to make sure that they were well looked after. It's love in their bedside manner. Oh, great. Yeah. So there were no other doctors in the area who would perform as many home visits as Shipman did. Yeah, it's just because he wants to keep an eye on them all and, like, do stuff to them. Mm. So, in an interview years later, I mean years later, yeah. a young couple who recently had a baby would tell of how Shipman came to visit the young mother shortly after she'd given birth to check in on her Ooh. and to make sure that she and the baby were doing well. <laughs> this left a huge impression on the new parents as neither of them had experienced a level of care like this before. Okay. He stopped by, out of hours, in his own time, just to check in on his patients. The people of Hyde adored him for this. Because mm. this yeah. was not an unusual thing yeah. for him. Yeah. It was an unusual thing for other doctors. Yeah. But he would do this all the time. And this is why people loved him so much. It's frustrating that such a lovely, lovely gesture is making him stand out when he doesn't deserve that positive exactly. attention. Exactly. So he's using at all. this, like, faux kindness. Yeah. To, he's like, building all this good rapport. That is so disingenuous on his part. It's grim. Interestingly, at the new Market Street practice, Shipman was very enthusiastic about a new computer system which had been put in place. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and he even became the chairman for the local users of a fancy new system called MicroDoc. Ooh. This was a software system developed especially for doctors to make their lives a bit easier and more streamlined. It's interesting to remember that the reason he gave for leaving the Donnybrook practice was the introduction of a new computer system which he didn't want to use. It's mm. almost as though he was fucking lying and didn't want to admit that he's a narcissistic loser who didn't want to have other people working around him. Yeah, he's just been bullshitting his way through it. The Shipman Inquiry of 2002 states that some people in the local medical communities in which he was a prominent member found him to be arrogant and overbearing, which again goes hand in hand with what he was known to be like in school, university, and his previous workplaces. Mm. However, this didn't diminish his reputation in the slightest, as when giving evidence in 2002, the widower of the late Linda Reynolds says that he was known as, quote, the best doctor in Hyde, end quote. Mm. In 1998, his reputation was beginning to be brought into question. Oh. So Dr. Linda Reynolds, the late wife of Nigel Reynolds, who would, would testify that I just quoted, yeah. began to notice that a lot of Shipman's patients were dying in similar ways. Oh. So they would receive one of Shipman's famous and loved home visits, be yeah. relaxing on a chair or in bed, yeah. and then fall asleep oh. and never wake up. That's scary. Not only this, but the vast majority of these deaths would then end in cremation. Oh, and the cremation wow. would be countersigned by Dr. Harold Shipman. Mm -hmm. Dr. Reynolds discussed this with her colleagues, who all worked locally at the Brook Surgery, and between them they began to work out that the death rate, even amongst the elderly and vulnerable, seemed far too high. Yeah. Oh. Alarmed, they alerted the coroner for the Greater South Manchester District, John Pollard, and an investigation was opened. Mm. The investigation didn't take long, and nothing of note was discovered by the West Pennine Health Authority. Oh my god, no. They yeah. miss things. They need to go do that again. It's too late for that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. So the police who reviewed the investigation, led by Detective Inspector David Smith, 
concluded that nothing was amiss, and the investigation was closed on the 17th of April 1998, only a month after it had begun. It's it's strange because cremation also... Cremation seemed to be not a big thing back then, like it is now. What do you mean? Like, burying people is the more common way to rid your loved ones than Are you saying that... No, that's not a thing. Cremation has always been, like, quite a standard practice. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's But it was just the number of them. There was a lot of them. Yeah, the ratio was disproportionate. The ratio for him, yeah, was disproportionate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... It would only be two months later that the death of one of Hyde's residents, Kathleen Grundy, would attract a little bit more attention. Okay. So Kathleen Grundy was a well-loved and respected member of Hyde's community. She'd once actually been the mayor of Hyde. Wow. So Kathleen was 81 That's years cool. old, but she was going strong. There was no part of her that was frail or weak. Yeah. She was very much an active member of the community, and her age didn't get in the way of anything. Oh, okay. She had routine doctor's appointments with Shipman, but nothing to be alarmed about. Okay. And on the 24th of June, 1998... Shipman called around her house early one morning to draw a blood sample for the Manchester University Ageing Survey. This wasn't a surprise visit, um, because the day before, Kathleen had visited her friend, May Clark, who lived nearby, and told her about the appointment. I'm glad she told her friend about it. Yeah, so she had a busy schedule that day. After her blood test from Shipman, she was supposed to go to the local pensioners' luncheon club. Mm. However, she never made it. And two people who worked there arrived at her house at 11.55am to check in on her. The pair found the house unlocked, which was unusual, and they entered in, calling Kathleen's name, and found her on the sofa in the living room. She was unresponsive. They did the only thing that came to mind and called, you guessed it, Harold Shipman. No. (laughs) He was the best doctor in town, of course, and he was also a volunteer with the local ambulance service. He arrived, gave her the once-over, and pronounced her dead. Great. He would also sign the death certificate and list the cause of death simply as old age. So, what exactly does old age mean? There is technically no such thing as dying of old age. What happens is that being older obviously increases the risks of dying from other things. For example, you're more likely to experience heart failure, a weakened immune system, or developing a potentially terminal or long-term illness like cancer. However, Shipman did not mention any of these things on the death certificate, or indeed anything else, just old age. And that was the same prognosis that had rung the alarm bells of Dr. Linda Reynolds months earlier. So many of his elderly patients were suddenly and unexpectedly dropping dead from merely being old. This is where things go from strange to bizarre. On the same day that Kathleen died... The 24th of June, a local solicitor's office, Hamilton Ward, received a will and a letter from someone they had never dealt with before. The will was to advise that Kathleen Grundy's assets all be left to her doctor, Harold Shipman. What the fuck? And that included both her home and a house she owned in Stockport. What the hell? The total value of her assets, as listed in the will, was £386,402. Which, in today's money, with inflation, etc., is worth approximately £685,000. The value in today's money in dollars is over $839,000. Wow, that's a lot. It's a fucking lot. So this is a considerable inheritance that we're talking about here. Mm. The letter accompanying the will read, quote, Dear Sir, I enclose a copy of my will. I think it is clear in intent. I wish Dr. Shipman to benefit by having my estate, but if he dies or cannot accept it, then the estate goes to my daughter. I would like you to be the executor of the will. I intend to make an appointment to discuss this and my will in the near future. End quote. I don't think she wrote that. I don't think she fucked it funny. <laughs> so the staff there thought it was kind of weird, but they shrugged and filed it and waited for further instructions or developments. No! But if they get a letter and a will... I know! They just but... file it away. That's no. just... So six days later, on the 30th of June, they received another letter, and this was typed on the same typewriter. Oh, for God's sake, it's typed. I assume that you can tell if there are little imperfections and such in the letters. I know forensically you can tell the letters have, like, fingerprints, but I'm assuming that for them to have known, it must have been, like, quite unnoticeable. Like, it must have been obviously from the same thing. Mm. So, plus, I know 1998 was 24 years ago, but printers did exist. They did. Yeah, so I bet it would have been far more commonplace to receive either handwritten letters or letters that had been typed on a computer and printed on a printer than it was to receive a letter that had been written on a typewriter. Yeah. So the letter read, quote, 
Dear Sir, I regret to inform you that Mrs. K. Grundy of 79 Joel Lane, Hyde, died last week. I understand that she lodged a will with you, and I, as a friend, typed it out for her. Her daughter is at the address, and you can contact her there. End quote. The letter was signed mm. either S. Smith or F. Smith. The letter had no return address, only advising the solicitors to contact Kathleen Grundy's daughter at her home address, and the post would be passed on to her. I'm getting confused by this. Why? Surely he'd want to inherit the house. Yeah. So why are they then being sent to speak to this lady? Her daughter. Because... So, right. So... Shipman wants to inherit the house. Yeah. Yeah, so he's made a will, a fake will. Spoiler alert, he made the will. <laughs> Whoops. Um, to give all the money to him and give it to the daughter in case he died or yeah. couldn't accept it for whatever reason, right? Right. So because the daughter is Kathleen Grundy's like next of kin, like her closest relative, mm-hmm. obviously it would be really fucking weird if they were like... Yeah, you know, if you had, like, she's died, so reach out to the doctor. It would be oh, more yeah. normal yeah, for them to be like, reach out to the daughter. Mm-hmm. And then she can arrange it. It looks more above board, even yeah. if everything goes to Shipman. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, over this period of the six days between Kathleen being discovered, deceased, and this letter arriving from an S or an R. Smith. Also, can I just say the fact that he signed it Smith is just the most stupid fucking thing. He's going to go with the like most common name. Yeah. Be like, no one will so, Harold Shipman, in this period of time, was telling Kathleen's friends and loved ones that they should contact Hamilton Ward, who were, according to him, dealing with her affairs. It's not subtle, is he? Absolutely not. Jeez. So, Kathleen Grundy's funeral took place on the 1st of July, 1998, and was attended to by hundreds of people. Oh. Residents of Hyde flock to say goodbye and pay their respects to such a value, valued and special member of their community. Oh, that's lovely. She was buried at Hyde Chapel, which is a beautiful resting place, despite the sinister observation that the cremation box was ticked on the will that was received by the solicitors. Ooh. Oh, that's creepy. I don't like Yeah, that. so he tried to have her cremated. <sighs> so she a couple of weeks cremated. after Kathleen's funeral, her daughter Angela Woodruff was finally contacted by Hamilton Ward, notifying her of the will and her mother's estate being left to her doctor. This was strange for a number of reasons. Firstly, like we said, Kathleen had never used this phone before. Secondly, the will and the letter happened to arrive on the day that Kathleen passed away. Thirdly, her daughter was a very accomplished solicitor by herself by happenstance and immediately suspected the second will of being a massive fucking forgery. She talked with another solicitor, Brian Burgess, who agreed with her that something didn't seem to add up and he urged her to go to the police, which is exactly what she did, but not before Angela conducted a little investigation of her own. What had actually happened was rather different. Kathleen Grundy went to visit Dr. Shipman two weeks before she died about having her ears syringed, and not long after she started asking him about it, Mm. Shipman got up from his chair and went into the waiting room. There, he asked Claire Hutchinson and Paul Spencer, who were waiting for their own appointments, to come in and witness Kathleen signing her permission to have the little procedure done. That's really weird. It fucking is. Why? So he he folded over a piece of plain print paper prepared to sign, and they did. No, no, never sign plain paper, ever, ever. Just don't fucking do it. Don't. Don't, because that stuff could be replicated. The thing is, yeah, no. of course they did. He was the kindest, most generous doctor in yeah, town. They already trust him. They They're already in trust his waiting him. room. Yep. yep. So people would have done anything he asked them to <sighs> with a smile on their faces. That's so frustrating. So Harold oh, Shipman realised that one of the wealthiest people in town was in his surgery, mm. saw the pound signs in his greedy little eyes, and immediately yep. headed out into the waiting room to get a couple of signatures from unsuspecting people. Oh, God. So clearly while she was talking to him about this, he wasn't even listening. He no. was just thinking, I'm going to kill you and take your money. That's so gross. It's so disgusting. So Angela no. Woodruff, her daughter, made this connection and realised that her mother's doctor had forged her will, copied the two signatures from his other patients as witnesses, and tried to divert all the money to himself. I can't even imagine it. Yeah, it's fucking shitty. So also, I can't remember if I actually made a note of this or not, but it's just come to mind now. Mm. You know how he went to Kathleen Grundy's house to take a blood sample for the Manchester University age survey. Yeah. He made that up. That doesn't even exist. Yeah, I don't think an age survey is a thing. No, it's not. But, like, he literally went there to draw her blood it's with so a creepy. fake survey for the University of Manchester yeah. and just it injected just him with morphine instead. Oh. 
Sorry, but dying of old age on the certificate as well. It's such a bullshit thing to say. It's so like, how dare you just write that down? So this is a cool thing about Angela Woodruff. She also mm. doubted the will immediately because it was written poorly. Oh, So wow. when testifying several years later at the trial, she told the court that she didn't believe for an instant that her mother would write something so badly typed. Wow. Good Personally, I love that. Yeah. So she knew that her mother was too intelligent and too capable, and his idiocy was what gave him away, despite his belief that he was superior to everyone else. Yeah. It became increasingly clear that the more she learned that her mother's death just two weeks after this encounter was more than likely not an accident, Mm. especially as she had died just hours after being attended to by this same doctor in the privacy of her home. Yeah. So she contacted the police, Mm -hmm. and they began their own investigation. For whatever reason, this investigation stuck. Really? Yeah. Oh! So we know that Shipman had several near misses in the past with investigations, or let off with a little slap on the old wrist, but this time, he was cornered. Oh, hell yeah. It could be because Kathleen was a woman of standing in the small community, so her death was taken more seriously, or because her daughter was a solicitor in another position of authority. Mm. Perhaps because this had turned into a financial crime where a large amount of money was involved, The police also realised that this investigation was regarding the same doctor who had been investigated just months before, confirming that there may have been something to found those concerns. Whatever the reason was, he was fucked now. A warrant was issued for Kathleen to be exhumed and she was brought back from her resting place on the 1st of August 1998, exactly one month after she was buried. Her body was examined and a toxicology report done, and in a sample of her muscle tissue, morphine was found. Ooh, wow. It seemed as though Shipman had prepared himself for this eventuality. Mm. He wasn't a complete idiot, despite what the terrible will forgery would have you believe. He went to the steps of altering Kathleen's medical records to make it seem as though she, as, as though a morphine overdose was the likely cause of death. It wasn't enough to kill her and try and steal her assets. He had to tarnish her reputation too. This guy knows no end. He added an entry to her records, backdated to the 10th of December 1996, which suggested that she had been abusing codeine. Codeine converts into morphine at a rate of about 10% by a naturally occurring enzyme in the body, called CYP2D6. Shipman put in her records that on the 10th of December she'd come to see him with very small pupils, which is one of the signs of someone who abuses the drug. He added to his notes that she was also constipated and wrote by hand, quote, drug abuse at her age, codeine, wait and see, end quote. If Kathleen's body was examined and morphine was found in her system, he clearly hoped that these added notes would explain the presence of the opioid in her system. Oh my god, I hate that he planted seeds just in case anything like this happened. Yeah. I hate that. And we'll see as well that this is not the only time that he does this. No. This is a pattern that he has. So on the same day of the exhumation of Kathleen's body, another warrant was also carried out, which included the the seizure of items from Shipman's home and practice. The police took Kathleen's medical records, a computer, and also a typewriter. I was hoping you'd say typewriter. (laughs) So horrified by the idea that a doctor might have murdered his own patient for profit, the police widened the investigation to a further 19 deaths signed by Shipman. What? These deaths, 19. 19, jeez. These deaths were the ones that the police were made aware of by Dr. Linda Reynolds in March earlier that year. Upon looking a little further, an additional nine deaths were added to the list to be investigated. So the ball was really rolling now, and I can only imagine how much Harold Shipman must have been absolutely crapping himself. I hope so. So just days after this, a forensic document examiner, Michael Hall, gave the police information that the signatures on the will were in fact forgeries, Mm. and not produced by people who actually owned the signatures. Yeah, definitely not. No. He also concluded that the will and letters accompanying them were typed on the typewriter belonging to Harold Shipman, and that resided in his surgery. Two days after this, forensic scientist Julie Evans told the police that the level of morphine in Kathleen's body was consistent with someone who had died by morphine overdose. It was definitely not a level which she could have been administered for pain relief and then survived it. This was a fatal level of the drug which had been injected into her system. Sounds scary. Is he someone they trusted? Yeah. People were happy for him to come into their homes. Yeah, and he willingly put that in them. Yeah. So a little over a week later, and Harold Shipman was arrested on the 7th of September 1998 and charged with murder, forgery, and attempting to obtain property by deception. And that is where we are going to pick up next week, because there is so much more to uncover. What? No. 
I'm no. leaving it here. No, no, you don't. Carry on. No. <laughs> Drum roll for Charlie. No. Carry on. No, we're not going to carry on. We've yeah. got more next week. We've no. been recording for an hour. We have indeed. And yeah, uh, we do have a lot more to talk about and a lot more of the, the things that were uncovered at the trial, the shipment report, and it turns out that his criminal career yeah. just goes back over so long. Does it? The stuff that comes out about what he's done. Because I only know about the old people business. I only know about that, and even then, I only knew about the uh, the lethal injections, not all the the fraudness. We'll find out. All of that. We will get to it. I've got I've got a lot of interesting stuff to tell you. Um, But yeah, for me, the most frightening thing about this is that how people would just be like, "Yeah, come in," and he would go into people's houses. Uh Like they would, he would be allowed in. Mm -hmm. He would be welcomed in. Yeah, and he would kill them, mm-hmm. and, and that's he'd be happy terrifying. To kill them as well. Yeah, yeah. The video is horrifying. Give me the heebie-jeebies. Um, so yeah, I hope that you've enjoyed my telling of that horrific story. Um, I hope that not enjoyed it, enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you what found I mean. it interesting. I too. hope you found it illuminating. I hope you found it educational. It's insightful. I hope that it makes you terrified of people, <laughs> especially doctors. <laughs> um, no. But yeah, so I do have a lot more to tell you about the some of the legal stuff that happened afterwards. It's all, legal stuff. it's all really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've started my research on part two. I've started I've got a few pages of notes. Yay. And it's it's really exciting. I'm Ooh. very excited to share I'm with you. Grinning. I'm excited. Um, yeah, so thanks for listening. I mm. hope that I hope that it was illuminating. Um I hope you have a gorgeous day doing whatever you're doing. It's fucking freezing here. It's really cold. It's really cold. It's really cold. I'm like shivering. <laughs> yeah, so we made hot drinks before we started. We but they were finished ages ago. Yeah, they've gone. So I, I need another one, though. Do you um, want a hot chocolate? Well, yeah. I would like a hot chocolate. I'll make you a hot chocolate. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's that's it for today. So oh. if you if you haven't already, please leave our little Spotify uh, a rating because it's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed I looked on the analytics. A lot of people listen through Apple Podcasts, oh, which that's quite like, I was expecting most people to listen through Spotify. I think just yeah. because I use Spotify <laughs> for everything, so I just assume that everyone else does as well. Mm. But a lot of people listen through Apple Podcasts, so thanks. That's cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. Thank so you, Apple people. I think you can leave ratings on Apple Podcasts, and if you can, please leave us five stars because that would just make me like really happy. Yeah, like the fifth Apple. Whatever they do over there. <laughs> How many apples do you get? <laughs> um, I'm allergic to apples. You are, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't get along with apples very well. Really... It makes me look as though I've had really bad lip fillers. And it's very <laughs> uncomfortable. Like, all of my throat feels, like, painful and mm. it's just bad. Anyway, that's an interesting thing that you didn't know about me before. Lovely fact of the day. Lovely fact. Um, yeah, so have a good day. <laughs> and... Thanks for listening, and yeah, we'll care. see you next week to finish see you next off. Week. Bye-bye! Bye.